Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's edition of the Original Strength Podcast. I have a very special guest and friend this week, Mr. Jim Hatcher. Uh, and Jim, I wanted Jim on the show because he is, I've never been around Jim where he has not just shared wisdom. I always feel like I learned something. And so today, Jim is going to talk to us about fitness and aging. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jim Hatcher. Well, thank you. Um, I don't know about sharing wisdom. I think that this automatically goes with being older. And so I will uh, set the stage a little bit for you by saying uh, one of the reasons I can talk about aging is that I'm 78 years old and I've probably been lifting weights and doing exercises for 65 years or more. Um, and so over all those years, you kind of just learn a lot. Uh, and I should say, by the way, um, as sort of a disclaimer, I'm not a trainer. I've never been a trainer. Um, and so when I talk about things like fitness and aging, I'm talking more from uh, experience rather than any kind of formal education. So with that, um, you can learn to take it for what it's worth. I, I think experience makes the best teachers, Jim. <laughs> well, I want to believe that. And I, I, uh, I think one of the things about experience is that you see things come and go and you sort of um, <clears throat> pick up what's old and what's new and you kind of find out that Maybe there's not a lot that's really changed over all those years. It may be presented differently, but the package is still the same. So, so I want to I want to let everybody know too that so you're 78 now, but I met you at a original strength workshop. I don't know, was that like maybe four or five years ago? Mm, at least five. At least five, and at the time. You and I, you may still be, but at the time I met you, you were the uh, the oldest person to complete the SFG kettlebell course. Is is that correct? I was seventy two at that time, um, and that at the time it was indeed, and we documented that I was the oldest uh, person who had ever successfully completed SFG level one. Um, I don't honestly know whether that. That's changed since then. I suspect it has. Um, Strong First has gone so uh, international and and grown so rapidly. I'd be kind of hard pressed to believe that I still held that dubious record. But at the same time, um, I was glad that I held it when I did, and uh, I considered it um, a pr pretty significant personal accomplishment, which is what it was. It was not uh, necessarily intended to be that way. Uh, the whole SFG thing was um, a goal of mine to do. Um, I hoped that I would pass. Uh, I didn't actually pass on the Sunday of the third day. Um, <clears throat> in the testing, uh, when I was doing the get-up, uh, I dropped the kettlebell. I had never dropped a kettlebell in my life before, and I've never dropped one since then. And I think it was just plain uh, cumulative fatigue from the three days. 
And um, short, shortly after, a couple of days later, I submitted my video and passed, and, and that was the end of it. But uh, it was sort of a su surprising experience. Uh, uh, and I have no explanation. Why did I drop that kettlebell? I don't know. And like I said, it's never happened since then either. So. Maybe it was nerves. Well, could have been, but I think it was just pure fatigue. So at age 72, though, you completed the, the SFG kettlebell course, which is a three-day, roughly three days of eight hours of kettlebell training. And it's, it's not easy for a 20-year-old, and you did it at 72. But also, on the heels of that, I met you at an original strength workshop. And so you're, you were, at that time in your life, you were at 72, you were still a huge student of learning and moving. But what really fascinated me with you was I learned something from watching you move at the original strength workshop too. Uh, so guys, we were in the first, I don't know, maybe 20 to 25 minutes of the workshop. And we were, we, we, we were learning breathing exercises. And what we do at the workshops is we, we like to see how the resets affect your body. So we have people take a baseline and Jim was testing his squat. And so within the first, like when he was, his baseline squat was, I don't know, would you say you were maybe halfway down or three quarters of the way down? Probably half to three quarters, no more than that. Because it was just body weight. So he was just testing how his body moves without load. But about three or four breathing exercises in, Jim's standing on my right and I see him just drop down to the floor. And he is pretty much squatting butt to calves and I hear this loud rip. Or it sounded like somebody took a bunch of spaghetti and just twisted it real quick. Um, and Jim had ripped his pants because he had squat. He, his squat went so low, his pants couldn't take the stress. Um, but it, I think it surprised Jim a little bit because he looked down and saw the, the rip in his pants. And when he looked down, he, he kind of fell back on his back and was belly up to the ceiling. But that was, oh, that was the best moment for me because I saw how much his body changed at age 72. But I also, like, I don't know, how long had it been since you had squatted that far down without any kind of load? Gee, I don't know. Uh, it had been quite a while. I mean, it was, um, I, don't, I don't know. I can't honestly answer that question. Uh, but I do think that was perhaps another first because I was the, probably the only person then and since then who had to go shopping in the morning session to buy a new <laughs> pair of clothes so I could get through the rest of the day. That is correct. To my knowledge, you are the only person that left to go buy new pants. <laughs> and of course, you chose to exploit that to your advantage by writing an article about how I got ripped. And that is correct. About my abs either. So uh, so I was, I was ripped in your OS class, but it caused me to go shopping for a new pair of pants at, prior to noon. So for all you people that always ask, write in and ask, can you get ripped by doing original strength? The answer is yes, and Jim was the first one to prove it. And I, <laughs> I hope that I never have to prove it again, and I hope attendees don't have to find out either. But it was a, it was a shock to both of us when it happened. That was a great day for me, and I'll never forget. Like I've never forgotten that. <laughs> so, so Jim, you're 78 now, and you're still you're very active, 
and you're, you say you're not a trainer, but to, to me, you're definitely a teacher. Can you share your thoughts on what it is to move through, as you get older, what it is to move through life and stay fit? Well, <clears throat> we'll use, I guess we have to pay attention to semantics, but I, I think you need to think of it as a journey uh, that really has no uh, end. Uh, ultimately, it does have an end, but um, it's, it's for an older person, you have to shift your thinking, I believe, particularly if you have been an athlete um, and are accustomed to having performance-driven goals as part of your, your lifetime. And, and by that, I mean, you know, how much can I lift? What can I do in this next powerlifting contest that I'm signed up for? How fast can I run my marathon? Uh, those kinds of things that you train for specifically are what I call performance uh, goals. And I think that at some point, unless you're truly an elite athlete and are truly striving for um, age-related performance accolades, um, you have to start thinking about health. And you need to start um, thinking that my health-related journey is more important than my performance-driven goals. And that is not an easy transition uh, for anybody. I, I, uh, um, I have a picture that I picked up someplace and then showed an older man and he said something to the effect that most athletic injuries that happen to older persons are a result of them thinking that they're a younger person, and uh, I think there's some truth to that, but I think it's a lot more to it than um, physical injury. The risk of injury is certainly greater. The risk of cardiovascular issues is certainly greater, uh, but <clears throat> it's a mindset. It's a mindset that says, uh, I want to live as long as I can and be as healthy as I can and as productive as I can. So how do I get there? And I have an answer to that question, I think. Uh, and that uh, has become sort of a mantra for me. And that is that you need to eat better. You need to sleep better. You need to feel better. You need to have more energy and you need to have some kind of um, I don't want to say you have something you have to have something that has you mentally engaged, whether it's a uh, avocation, whether it's family driven. But you stay active and alert mentally 
by eating better and sleeping better. And all that nourishes that is the quality of food that you eat, the type of exercise that you participate in, um, the flexibility and mobility that you work on. Uh, but you do them from a health-driven point of view rather than a performance-driven uh, point of view. And you don't necessarily have high expectations. You have achievable expectations. Uh, and you strive for consistency in effort on all of those. Recognizing that somewhere along the way, there's going to be something that's going to jump out and bite you. Um, but the bite might be less if you've done a better job taking care of yourself. And the recovery might be quicker if you've taken a better care of yourself. Um, and if you've got the right mental approach, you come back to what you were doing before to the extent that you're able as quickly as possible. That's kind of the way I look at it, all of it. You said eating better and sleeping better. And you, you mentioned you have to feel better. Is that a choice you make or is that something you do to feel better? Like, If you eat better and you sleep better, you ought to feel better. And you're okay. exercising. Feeling better is a, a result of doing a lot of things correctly, correctly for you. Correctly for you. So you also mentioned um, deciding on what type of exercise is right for you. How, how, how do you come about that? I was a power lifter in my early days. Um, I'm going to say a little bit better than mediocre, but um, I finished third in a national powerlifting meet when I was 45. I consider that kind of an uncommon experience, but nevertheless, it was uh, something that I worked very hard for, worked very hard at trying to do. Um, when I was 60, um, I realized I didn't belong in the powerlifting world anymore. You know, I didn't have the I didn't have the strength. I didn't have the desire. Um, I didn't uh, want to compete. Uh, but those were the exercises that I knew. Those were the things that I had been doing for Lord knows how many years. So I had to find something else. And that's kind of when I stumbled into kettlebells. Um, and that was that was great. It, I mean, the kettlebell thing for me opened lots and lots of doors. I met a lot of wonderful people. Uh, it has given me opportunities that I would not have ever expected to have otherwise. Uh, but I also have to say that sort of like barbells, I got tired of a lot of that. I mean, you, how long can you do those kinds of things 
Uh, and even if you're cautious and thoughtful and you have a good coach helping you with programming and so forth, you still have to have something that you want to do. And I got tired of both of them. Now I walk a lot. I've got a, a good but older Schwinn Airdyne bike that I'm uh, happy to pedal away on and listen to music and think about whatever I need to think about. I've still got kettlebells in my basement that I um, use, but it's mostly one and two hand swings. And then because my ego is still there, I do presses with whatever I can handle. And I like uh, doing that, but that's the only weight driven thing that I do much of anymore. Uh, and that's just because I like to do it. But uh, it's not, well, I don't want to say that. I was going to say it's not so much what you do, it's what you're willing to do consistently that makes the difference. Um, there are people who would argue with me end on end about how important certain exercises are. And, and at certain stages of your life, there are certain things that you need to do that are important. But as you get older, mobility is important, flexibility is important. The ability to get up off the, uh, the cardiovascular work that you need to do is important. Um, but all that feeds into this mantra of mine of eating better, sleeping better, and feeling better. Because that's what allows you to have a fulfilling life as you age, as opposed to one that is hindered by misfortunes of physical inability, mental inability, sickness, and on and on and on. A lot, of there's, a lot of that has an inevitability to it, but I don't succumb easily to that. Eventually, you know, some of that's going to get me, but it's going to be a long, hard battle, <laughs> and I'm not thrown in the towel yet. So. so you're not going quietly into the night. That's correct. I'm not going quietly into the night, but... Uh, so how do you, you know, your, your question was a good question. And, and I think you just have to find what works for you and what the definition, I guess, maybe of what works for you is what you are willing to do on a consistent basis. Is it, is it okay that when you find what works for you, because we're talking about now we're talking about longevity and and enjoying life as to to its fullest as we can does it matter if what works for you is something you enjoy versus like doing stuff you don't enjoy just because you know what i mean like so if you're choosing your your route to take to stay healthy to me it would seem that it would work better if you enjoyed what you're doing than just doing prescribed things that that other people say is what you need to do i guess yeah I agree. Uh, I think that doing things that you enjoy, um, I know a moment ago I said I got bored with weightlifting and kettlebells, um, but almost my entire life I've gone to the gym because I wanted to, never because I had to. 
now, some of that is because I had good training partners. I didn't want to let them down. I had performance goals at the time that the programming was important. But I never had a day where I just said, I, I hate going to the gym. I don't want to go to the gym. So, yes, it is better if you like what you're doing. But I think there's another little caveat here. And that is, I think you get, I'm going to use the word stronger, and I mean it in a uh, broad-based meaning. I, I, I don't mean how much more you can lift. I think you become stronger as a person if you spend time working on things that are weaknesses. And you may or may not like working on weaknesses, but if you don't work on your weaknesses, your those things you're trying to grow and improve are hindered by whatever that weakness is. So you got to do both. Um, I exercise because I like to. I do exercises that I want to do. Um, but at the same time, there are times when I think, you know, I'm going to do a lot better job riding this bike if I spend more time uh, working on uh, stretching and lengthening my legs and dealing with what for me is a, a weakness and that is I got the shortest hamstrings in America and uh, I, if I don't work those hamstrings which I don't particularly uh, I'm not particularly enthusiastic about doing uh, what bothers me when I get off the bike? My hamstrings. And so you got to work at your weaknesses in order to enhance your strengths. But in a context of doing something that you really want to be doing, spending a little time on a weakness is a price that's well worth paying. Right on. That makes sense. Thank you. So you also mentioned it's about consistency. How do you know? Well, first of all, I got two questions. What does consistency look like as a 78 year old? And how how does one know if they're doing too little or they're doing too much? I'm going to answer your second question first. Um, OK. One of the things that I've learned over these many years, and I don't think this is unique, but a lot of people don't talk about it. And that is what I call cumulative fatigue. And cumulative fatigue is, a, I'm going to call it a condition that affects anybody who trains regularly. And it's like, I'll just do one more set. Or I've got time to spend 15 more minutes today on this. Or uh, I'll be a lot better off if I just, you know, run an extra mile or whatever. And that mindset of pushing through um, for an older person in particular, but I think for younger people as well, over a period of time, I don't know, a month, month and a half, three weeks, I don't know, whatever, you push through enough things and ignore fatigue, that cumulative fatigue Bite you in the butt. 
And all of a sudden, you can't figure out why am I so tired or why can't I do this? I want to, I don't care. I need to take three days off. Well, maybe you need to take a week off, but it's because in many cases, you've been pushing too hard. And it's easy for any of us who have an exercise and fitness background to push through. That's what we've done. That's what we do. We push through when the going gets tough. Well, when the going gets tough over enough times and you push through too many times, all of a sudden you have this collapse. Well, how do you know you're uh, overdoing it? Well, the real indicator is that cumulative fatigue. Um, the other indicators are probably more physiological, and I don't know enough about them, but you know, if your heart rate's not coming down when you sleep at night, if you're only sleeping four hours when you normally sleep seven, I mean, there's a lot of things that are a message that your body's trying to tell you, and you can't ignore them. If you ignore them, uh, it isn't worth it. So you can, cumulative fatigue will get you, but you can see it coming. You can feel it coming if you're paying attention to what your body's telling you. And learning to listen to your body is a uh, skill that most of us acquire, but most often too late in, in our lives. And if you learn to listen, your body will tell you what you should or should not be doing. Now that's that's the overtraining side of it. The undertraining side, you know, I don't know what how to answer that. I I I don't know. Uh, what's not enough is, uh, I guess, if you're not making some kind of reasonable progress. And I don't know how you define reasonable. I mean, Reasonable progress at my age is not adding multiple kilograms to my bench press. Now, that's not the kind of progress I'm talking about. But uh, if you can identify this eating better, feeling better thing for you, <clears throat> you probably should know that you're not making progress towards that if you're not feeling better. So maybe you're underperforming. The same message can also be you're overtraining too. That's not a very clear answer, but I think it's because there aren't very clear answers. I think they're individual answers. It's hard to generalize. It's like if you've been at this for a long time, you should probably be able to figure out for yourself what's too much and what's enough but you also need to uh, respect it and adhere to it and that's that's kind of hard sometimes i uh i can totally relate with with the cumulative fatigue thing i've i've, I've gotten really good well throughout my life i've been extremely good at not listening to my body um that was my skill uh and it has bitten me more than once sure <laughs> And sometimes harder than others, but it, it will definitely get your attention. 
uh, once once it's had too much for sure. And and maybe that's the answer to undertraining or not doing enough is that you're not listening to your body also. I mean, I mean, because the body, like you said, the body will tell you what it needs. Um, I believe but, that. Yeah, and if you ignore it and you don't move like it wants you to or needs you to, then that would that would be on the under not doing enough side, I would guess. I think you're right. Now you didn't answer my first question, which was, what does consistency look like for you? <laughs> my gym is in my basement. Ideal consistency is me going down there every day. Now sometimes I go down those stairs and I don't know what I'm going to do. And some days I do. Once I get down there, um, I can figure out something. And if I feel like it, I'll get on the bike. If I feel like it after I get off the bike, I'll do some kettlebell swings. I have a program that I'm using for the shoulder presses. And it's pretty well spelled out. I mean, it's three days a week and I know what I'm supposed to do each of those three days, and I follow that schedule. So my consistency is partly driven by the pressing, but my standard of consistency is going down there every day. Once I get there, I'll do something. And uh, I don't come back up the stairs until I've done something, unless I'm walking flights of stairs as part of what I've decided to do. I try to do something every day. And if it's not a matter of my uh, working in my basement, I'm outside walking. Uh, and I like doing that. And I, I don't speed walk. Uh, I walk at a reasonable pace. But I walk at a pace where I'm moving right along. I'm not. Well, it raises another issue. You have to work. Walking is important because it's easy to get sloppy with your gait. And, uh, you know, if, if you get sloppy with your gait and you're worried about falling down and you're looking at the st every time you st every step you take and watching for cracks in the sidewalk, then your posture is bad and you're, I mean, it's just the byproducts of slogging along aren't really good. Uh, the byproducts of standing up straight and trucking right along can be pretty good for you. So uh, consistency is walking as much as I can, as correctly as I'm able, uh, and getting down the basement once, well, at least once a day if I can. Um, do I do it every day? Nope, I don't. Do I try to? Yeah. Do I worry about it when I fail? Nope, not anymore. But I always go back, and I know that I'm always going to go back. So as long as I'm, as long as I know I'm going to go back, consistency is doing what I can when I can. Does that make sense? That makes a world of sense. That that last three minutes right there was just a gold mine of of nuggets right there. That was awesome. Basically, it was beautiful. Basically, consistency is showing up every day if you can, but also not fretting it if you can't. And you do what you can, even if you don't have a plan, you just show up. But but what you said about walking was also amazing, because to me and you, you might lean towards this way, too. If there was one movement you could do that would keep you the healthiest, the longest, it would be walking correctly. Correctly. <laughs> correctly. Correctly is the operative word. 
because that ties your brain together. It ties your body together. It actually does actually help your body express strength. I mean, it's amazing. Man, that was awesome, Jim. Thank you. So, well, I might what, have learned it someplace. Oh, well, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> but so, you know how sometimes you, 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 you think you know something, but then as time goes on, you're more sure that you know something. And then eventually you're certain that you know something. Um, I knew walking was good then, but I am certain that I know that it's good now. <laughs> okay, I got I got one last question for you. Yep. Crunchy peanut butter or creamy peanut butter? Personal taste, I would have to say creamy. What brand? This is funny. I'm going to say Jif, but this, this is funny because uh, when the pandemic hit, uh, my wife and I decided we weren't going to be hoarders, but we were going to stock up on stuff. And the store that we went to was out of Jif peanut butter, but it had multiple others. So I have more brands of peanut butter around this house right now and uh, none of them are Jif so I gotta tell you you're the first person to ever ask what brand but during the pandemic I was always about hoity-toity peanut butters yeah. and and then I was like you know what coronavirus or whatever you're not gonna live forever and I said screw it and I went and bought red top Jif there you go <laughs> and it is the absolute best my favorite peanut butter <laughs> Good. That is funny. Jim, thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your 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 nuggets with us. Well, it it's enjoyable and uh, we didn't get to the avocation thing advocation thing and maybe another time we can talk about that some because I think uh, it's important that uh, you stay mentally active and we need to talk about how to do that. So we'll do that sometime else. That sounds like a plan. I like that. Okay. All right. Thanks for the, the opportunity to spend some time with you. It's good to, uh, to see you again. It's good to see you, buddy. All Ladies right. and gentlemen, Mr. Jim Hatcher. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Original Strength Podcast.